Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, sound like you like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. Scott Metzger is a guitar player through and through. He was born in New Jersey. He has toured the world with all sorts of bands. If you're familiar with the world of the J-Rad world, which is the Grateful Dead kind of cover band, he plays in that. They're insanely popular, but he's done a lot kind of in that world. He at one point was discovered by Trey from Fish, but he's played with all sorts of people as a sideman, and he has had compositions on some albums, but as we discuss during this conversation, his new solo album that comes out in March is his first time as the face of an album, the sole composer and performer on an album. And it's pretty exciting because he's so great and his feel and his technique and his, I mean, the, when you try and talk about music, you always wind up saying words like vibe, but his vibe is so good. And I just think he's fantastic. And I think getting to talk to somebody who is so gifted technically, you know, in, in terms of his skill and proficiency, he's through the roof, but he's also really gifted in terms of his feel. And he is able to convey that really well. He's able to talk really succinctly and informatively about what it takes to be an artist, you know, who has, you know, an enormous skill set, but who's also empathetic towards the audience. And I just think that that's, in a way, that's the perfect world. I don't know that I've ever necessarily come that close to the, the line of brilliance that is that specific kind of talent. But boy, Scott Metzger sure does. And I'm really grateful that he joins us on this, the newest Wheels Off. Please welcome Scott Metzger. Welcome to Wheels Off, Scott Metzger. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing great. Great, Brad. Great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and for the edification of our listeners, from where are you joining us? I'm in Brooklyn, New York, USA. Nice. Uh, yeah, from my uh, from my apartment here 
and uh, it's very cold today. He, yeah, yeah. I did a Zoom with a friend who was in California yesterday, and he was wearing a beanie, and he apologized for the beanie and said, it's really cold here today. It's 50. And I was like, it's 10 here. So, <laughs> oh, man, yeah, you've got it worse than we do. I shouldn't complain. Uh, a little further north. Um, sweet, man. So what creative project are you working on at the moment? And how does it light you up? Oh, well, I've got, you know, I'm uh, somebody that's always, I've got uh, a focus issue. So I'm always working on a million things. But uh, right now, the, the main focus is the very first solo record I've ever made uh, under my own name. And it is truly a solo record. Um, it's all instrumental acoustic guitar music recorded in the last year or so. Um, and the only other person on it is my wife. She plays violin, uh, Katie Jacoby. She plays violin on one track. And it is called Too Close to Reason. And it's coming out in early March on Royal Potato Family Records. Dude, that's so exciting. Happier. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's a big, uh, a big deal. I mean, I've played on a million records under other people's names and have done a million projects uh, with other people. But to really put it out there and just be like, bam, Scott Metzger, like here it is. It's a it's an exciting and a little bit scary and just uh, really invigorating uh, phase. I mean, I've heard you play guitar often without even, as is the case so often with uh, a player like you, often without even realizing it was you. But I wonder like with uh, like 1-800-WOLF or with some of the projects that are more, that you're more in the driver's seat on, how how much have you been a composer? Like you've you've written tons of songs and compositions and stuff over the years. Sure, yeah. I mean, in my 20s, I was in a band called Rana and we were, that was a full democracy. That was like four guys writing. And we've yeah. made about nine, nine records or so. Um, and then came after that band kind of, you know, as bands do in your twenties, right? It's like, we came very close, right? To like yeah. making it to the other side and going the distance, but didn't quite make it. And after that, I became, I guess, basically what you would, what's easiest described as like a side man here in New York city. And did a ton of records playing guitars on other people's records. And there was some co composing, you know, I'd write little sections here or there, you know, little hooks for that stuff. Um, but in terms of like full on writing songs, there was a, there was a really big gap there for those years. Um, and then with Wolf, we made two records in the last, you know, I don't know, seven or eight years. And that was, a, that, again, that was another band thing where somebody would bring an idea to the table and everybody would massage it uh, together and, and we'd end up with a finished product. But for composing, just here's a song I wrote it start to finish. That's it. This is really the, uh, the first time I'm really stepping into, into that position. How does it feel? It feels great. It feels good. It's humbling, you know? It really is. I mean, I know you you must feel it too. I guess all songwriters feel this way, but you know, sometimes you, you know, you, it's an interesting process. I feel like that I, I just really knew when it wasn't what I wanted it to be it was very, very clear. <laughs> and, you know, um, and slowly as I was writing more and more by getting rid of stuff that I knew wasn't it, it kind of presented itself what it was going to be. 
That's that makes sense. Yeah, that a hundred percent makes sense. In fact, I don't think uh, I don't think people think of it that that way. I, but but I do think that is often the way that poets and novelists work, right? They they overcreate and then trim and then see what they've got and see what's missing and and build from that. But boy, it's it's so exciting. I I I, it's, I think yeah. How many, like, just, this is me just wanting to imagine the, the, how many tracks of acoustic guitars per piece? Are we talking like just a, one acoustic guitar playing the whole thing? Are you building like a suite of yourself playing all these different parts? Right. It's a mixed bag. Um, there's a few tracks that are just guy in a room, one take, playing an acoustic guitar. There's other tracks that I think have up to four tracks of myself overdubbed on top of it. And what I really was trying to keep in mind was when I first played one of the songs for someone, they said, oh, it sounds like a big piano that the sustain pedal doesn't quite work. (laughs) And I just loved that image of sort of a lot of overtones and like sort of things just kind of like getting mushed together to make sort of an atmosphere of, you know, sonic goo. (laughs) <laughs> yeah on top of it so so i think that it, a lot of the tracks you know it sounds like it's acoustic guitar and, and stuff but there might be sort of like harmonics and just sort of a, a very um, abstract kind of sound happening on another level above the songs um and and how much of it was true i mean and, and this is again this sounds judgmental um but i wonder how much of it was true like composition and how much of it was you just playing until you found something cool and keeping the take. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I'll, I'll, most of it's pretty true to like, I think I, that I knew what I was going to do when I showed up at the studio in the morning, or I knew what I was going for. Um, but there are certainly open sections yeah. that I just wanted it to be like, okay, there was like a little melody in the beginning and now there's going to be just a mood for a while. Yeah. And you know, and hopefully those, the two, the melody and the mood line up and make sense and make a pleasant experience for the listener. Um, yeah. As somebody uh, who's not uh, technically proficient, I've never achieved the, any real technical proficiency. I wonder for you, because um, my impression is that you could do pretty much anything, you know, like you could do Andre Segovia to the incredible, you know, intricate classical to like hardcore jazz. Um, don't, don't dis, yeah. You know, don't have to disabuse me of this, uh, this high level that I'm, I'm holding you on. But, um, but so but I wonder <laughs> for, for somebody who's so skilled, does it ever feel like dumbing down to do like rock and roll or just like a fun bluegrassy kind of thing and, and play, play, maybe play side work for somebody that's, that wants you to just kind of keep it stupid. I've kind of, you know, I've kind of had it. I, I think that in every guitar player, right, there's got to be the part of them that wants to just like go in and just do it, like just go nuts, and do the shredding thing. And like, <laughs> but when you hear those records, I don't know, some of those records are cool. You know, there's certainly no shortage of those kinds of records in the world, but like, I'm never really <laughs> in the mood to go home and listen to that record, you know, like, yeah, I don't know, you know. Um, so for me, and what, what I really got out of all those years of the sideman stuff is really not thinking about um, stuff that I'm working on as a guitarist, but thinking about it as a listener, you know, uh-huh. and it's like, just what do I, what does the song need and what would it want, you know, 
what would somebody listening to this be like, oh, that's the perfect thing to hear right, right now in this context, right? And like, basically never for me, it's like a shredding solo, you know, uh, especially on acoustic guitar, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's times and places to do a little fireworks just to let them know that you got it. And I don't, I don't, I won't shy away from those moments, but I was not interested in, I was never going in uh, to this being like, I'm going to really prove it that I can, you know, I could, you know, I was into Ingwe Malmsteen when I was 17, like still in there. I've still got it. I'm not, there's no Ingwe Malmsteen on this record. Well, if that's what you're looking for, <laughs> it's ain't it. Oh man, that's so great. So it's in a way it's like, um, empathy versus self-aggrandizement or something. It's it's less about you sort of placing yourself on a pedestal and more about you climbing into the hearts and minds of the listener. I like that. It's oh, beautiful. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's all my favorite guitar music. Like I'm like a big, if I do listen to guitar music, um, you know, Bill Frizzell is yeah. at the top of the list. Um, more recently, like Julian Lodge, who really can... He can really play. He can throw it around, but it's always super, super tasteful. Um, and I just feel like that's just really grown up. That's really grown up music making. Yeah. Because um, um, it's 2022. It's <laughs> like you can go on YouTube and I can see videos of like 17-year-old kids that can do things that I can't do. You know, you I go to Guitar crazy. Center. Seriously. Yeah, it's amazing. You know? I had a buddy that went and saw Yngwie Momstein in um, like the Bay Area and at the end of the show, he came back up for the encore and he said, would you like to see my wife? And, and like held out his hand, like a, a talk show or a game show presenter and a woman walked out on stage and turned around a couple of times and walked off. And it was, I mean, it's Whoa. like, it's, it's almost like an extension of the endless guitar solo. It's like, watch me. <laughs> would you like to see my wife? Great. Like, would you like to see my boat? This is my power boat. Like, roll a big boat. <laughs> yeah, what else? Can, what else can you bring up? <laughs> so it's great. Um, I wonder about your origin story. I wonder about the. Um, was there a moment when you were young where you knew that you were going to devote your life to this uh, this stringed instrument and its mastery and tones and playing? And did you know that you would be a guitar player? Was there an epiphany moment? Um. That's a great question. I mean, there were certainly, there is a great, so I will give you the Cliff Notes version of it because uh, it involves James Brown. Wow. This is the first, this is like the first moment that really, um, where I was like, I'm a lifer. Like there's no, there's no going back now. Um, and the love of the guitar was already there. And when I was in, when I was in my early twenties, uh, like I was saying, I was, I was on the road a lot and I played at a festival in Live Oak, Florida. And our band was, build at like one o'clock in the afternoon you know um and james brown was set to headline that night which i i didn't give much thought to at all at the time so we were playing the set and the bass player was like oh man this is unbelievable you know as we're playing he's kind of yelling at me over the music he's like i can't believe this this is unbelievable and i didn't know what he was talking about i just thought he was having a good set or something and we got done and we're kind of walking off the stage and he says, oh, that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And I said, what, you know, what are you talking about? He's like, oh my God, you missed it. He said, James Brown was like on, in the wings of the stage and busting like full on sex machine dance moves. <laughs> 
to our set, you know, like with nobody looking like it was like him and his little entourage. And he was like, apparently he was, I didn't get the visual on it, but, uh, but he said, oh, you know, he was over there. So as, and I'm super bummed out. I'm like, oh, I can't believe I missed it. As that, as that setting in, a guy taps me on the shoulder, guy, big guy, three piece suit, bodyguard looking type guy. And he says, oh, you were just playing guitar, right? I said, yeah. He said, oh, well, Mr. Brown wants to meet you. Wow. And I said, oh, okay. So I got the guys together. I said, I think we're going to meet James Brown. Sure enough, we went back and we walked into this tent and there's two people sitting with their backs to us in the tent. And the guy, security guy says, just wait here. And uh, he walked around to the side of these people and kind of whispered something to them. And then the voice of James Brown you know, comes out and he says, you know, where the guitar player at? Wow. And I was terrified of it. I don't know how I got my legs to work, but I was just like, oh, wow, this is so overwhelming, you know, and went over and sure enough, there's James Brown and his wife sitting there. And he, he just went on and on about my guitar playing. And uh, I just couldn't believe it. And it was really like a very, very surreal moment. It was before cell phones and all that. So we don't have any pictures of it, unfortunately, <laughs> but, you know, and I said to him, I was like, you know, he said, oh, your, your guitar player is, is, is so frightening. You know, he kept saying frightening, like over and over again. So, <laughs> so at the end of our little hang, I said, listen, this was better than meeting the president for me. Uh, you know, Mr. Brown, I'll never forget this. And he kind of shook my head and he just looked me in the eye and he just goes, frightening. <laughs> wow. And then I went back home and I saw my friends who... I'm from the same town as the guys in Ween, and they're kind of older brothers to me and, and are sort of my mentors. And I, I was telling Claude Coleman, uh, their drummer, this story. And he said to me, you know, he's like, well, you know what this means? It's like, he's like, you're in it now, man. He's like, you can't, you can't like get a job somewhere not playing guitar and then tell people about how James Brown dug the way that you play guitar, you know, at your writing code job or whatever, you know. Oh, that's and brilliant. I always think of that as that moment of like, and I was like, it occurred to me then when he said that, I was like, you know, he's absolutely right. Like, this is, it's, uh, it's <laughs> it seals the deal. It's so funny. I mean, clearly he loved what you were doing, but I wonder if it occurred to him as he was doing it that he was giving you like a gift. And that's such a good question. I, I, I always wonder if people like that are aware of the impact that they're having on people like, you know, like us, like if we're younger and we meet, you meet your heroes, right? Cause it can kind of go either way. Um, and it's such a good question. I mean, you must have those moments where you met people and, you know, they say something and maybe it's just a throwaway moment to them. And they're just like meeting one of 60 people they're going to meet that day or whatever. But here we are, you know, 20 years later telling this story. And it's talking about how it changed my life, you know, the, the entire course of my life. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was an amazing moment. Well, okay. So <clears throat> to me, playing guitar like you do would require so much of presence, you know, like being in the moment, like living in the moment, being sort of um, not burdened by fear of the, you know, the situation, the future, um, not hung up on. Uh, regrets about the past, but like really existing in that moment. And I wonder, because um, everyone I've ever spoken to during the 110 of these that I've done, 
everybody deals with um, internally generated obstacles, stuff that we create inside ourselves to, that just is a big wall between us and our creativity. You know, the voices in our own head that tell us we suck or we don't deserve it or whatever it is. So I wonder for you um, what you figured out uh, in terms of strategies to get through those internally generated obstacles, get past that. Wow. What a great, what a great question. Um, I mean, this is like my shit because I, I think about this kind of stuff all the time because we're all trying to, we all, everybody, you know, all musicians, right. You have those moments where you're like, wow, I'm a, I'm capable. You kind of play above your capabilities for a minute or something, or you have those aha moments. You're like, man, what, what can I do to, to stay in that? Like, I want that to be the new standard. Right. Um, and for me, it's, I, have you ever heard of the, um, the Alexander technique? You know what that is? Yeah. In fact, I've got the book right up here. I've, uh, <laughs> yes. But, but I, haven't, yes. I haven't dove into it like I should have, but it was recommended to me. For me, so the, the Alexander technique is, is one of the funny things about the Alexander technique is like nobody can really tell you what it is. You know, there's no real black and white definition of it. But it's essentially my best understanding of it is like body awareness and just getting in touch with where there's tension in your body that could be tripping you up from, you know, um, getting to your, your best self. Um, and so what I started to notice when I really started, start, I'm, I'm, I have like an Alexander teacher here in the city named Karen McElwin, who's amazing. And I see her uh, every other week or so. We just a lot of breathing exercises, a lot of just, you know, doing things with your hands, but keeping focus on, uh, you know, your legs or something like this, like just being aware of, of where you're at body-wise, attention-wise. Um, and the best little, you know, hack for me over the years has become, I realized a long time ago that I was playing much better in sound checks than I was actually on the gigs, I felt, because it was just throwaway. There was nothing at stake. There was nothing on the line. So what, I tr what I've tried to teach myself is to be aware of what my body feels like during sound checks. And then as I'm walking on stage for the gig, to tap into that, to recreate that physical feeling and really stay with that as opposed to you know, trying really hard to like play a great solo or whatever, you know, but to just try and stay in that. I've, I'm constantly kind of telling myself, you know, just keep it like it's sound check, like no big deal, you know, like a Red Rocks, you know, it's like sold out Red Rocks show that I do uh, that I did with J-Rad. And I remember literally I, I was like in between songs. It was just like nothing but a sound check, man, you know, and it really works for me. That has really, it took, it's taken a very long time. And of course, some nights are better than others, but that seems to be the thing, you know, and, and it's just keeping in mind, I don't have to do much. Like people, you know, people like the sound of the guitar. People like the sound of a band. Like it's not all riding on my shoulders. I don't have to, you know, I've got to change the world with every <laughs> note. It's like, you know, just play a C and like, let it ring out. Like people love that. <laughs> That's good enough sometimes. Yeah. They're predisposed. They made a big effort to be there. Right, right, and they're rooting for us too yeah. as musicians. I, you know, I, I feel like that there was a long time in my life where I, I sort of forgot about that. I forgot that like these people are here and they're like, they're thinking it's good already. Like they're psyched, they're ready. It's not like they're like, oh well, this guy better 
prove it to us tonight. You know, we came all this way. You know, it's not a bad vibe out there. It's like people want to enjoy themselves and have an experience with you. It's funny that you say that because now that I think about it, I think on my darkest nights, I have imagined an antagonism with the audience that doesn't really exist. Uh, I mean, I'm there with you 100%. Yeah. I mean, I've, because it's easy, you know, it's like you said, it's easy to like, once you get up in your head and you start spinning, and if you're on stage, that's a weird place to be. And it's a real tough place to get out of, I think. And it can get, it can get pretty abstract. <laughs> Boy, and I, I think it's so useful too, what you say about just the physical aspect of it. Um, I'm reminded of uh, a conversation I had with um, a guy, Jack McDowell was a Cy Young award-winning pitcher back in the nineties with the White Sox and some other teams, but he he's great, great pitcher, like really, and, and played in rock bands. And so he straddled those worlds and really interesting guy. And um, at one point, and this is years later, this is recently, he came out and saw me play. And, and I said, yeah, I don't know the gig tonight. I just felt, uh, and I did a thing with my shoulders where they kind of hunched up a little. And, and I didn't realize I was doing it. I didn't, I wasn't consciously illustrating the problem I'd had with the gig, but he said, listen, you know, lately I've been managing baseball teams. And when I go to these young players and I see them hitting in batting practice, their shoulders will be down and they'll be swinging. And I watch them in the game and their shoulders are up by their ears. And he said, so I walk over to them and I just push their shoulders down and I say, take it out, let it go. You're never going to hit with your shoulders way up by your ears. And so now whenever I'm on stage and I catch myself with my shoulders locked or up by my ears, I'll just make my shoulders melt. Just let them melt. And it helps so much. It makes such a big difference, right? Yeah. It's, it's incredible. I remember one of the first, I studied with a, with a jazz guitar great named Gene Bertoncini for a few years. He was just an incredible guitar player, really a master. And I remember one of my very first lessons, he said, okay, like, you know, take out your guitar. He's kind of got like, he's kind of uh, a salty kind of character. Really great, really, really great. Salty, but genuine, like a great combo for a teacher. Um, but he said, okay, well, go, go ahead. Well, you know, play, why don't you play me all the things you are? And I said, okay, great. I started playing and I got about six notes in and he goes, wait, he said, I'm going to break out in a rash just watching you play. <laughs> Because <laughs> he said, look at you, you know, anybody, his point was that, uh, you know, he's like, you're all hunched over. He's like, your fingers are turning white. You're pressing down so hard, you know? And he said, just let the guitar do the work for you. You know, he's like, this is what, and then we just practiced. We basically didn't even practice guitar for months. We just practiced like holding the guitar and being calm and being confident and like, you know, owning the situation at hand, <laughs> you know? Wow. Being in control. Yeah. God, I love it. It's, and it, it's funny too, because it it's simpler than we think. Like in our minds, I think people who are creative tend to think that there's these deep, hard, complicated things that are, that we need to do and to master and figure out. But really it's what you're saying. It's how do you sit? Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's like, how do you sit? And like, just does it sound good or not? <laughs> you know, like there was, a, I did a, I did a, a master class like panel. And uh, uh, John Medeski, the, the yeah. organ, that organ, uh, you know, genius guy, uh, was uh, was on it. And everybody was kind of saying, like, "Oh, on this song, you know, they were talking about playing on some song." And everybody was talking about all these harmonic um, options that you had. It's like, okay, well, over the D minor, you can play an E minor. 
you could play in C major, but not C major sharp 11, because that's the major seventh of the, or the minor chord, <laughs> you know, but you could, you could hang in G minor. And it was like going on and on and on. And they were like, John, what do you think? And Badescu was like, if it sounds good, I play it. And then he's like, and if it doesn't sound good, then I'd switch notes. <laughs> it was like, dude, there it is. Like, that's, that's the real shit, you know? Oh, I love that. I switched so notes. Good. Yeah, um, doesn't sound good. I play a different note. <laughs> so I'm imagining that that even the non-musicians listening to this are going to get a lot out of it. And But I know I've, I've definitely have really appreciated the wisdom that you've shared so far. I'm wondering if you would be willing to try and sort of distill it into um, a nugget of wisdom. If you were to run into like a 21-year-old version of yourself in today's world, so with all the trappings of the modern 2022, um, what advice might you give the 21-year-old version of Scott Metzger? Well, as a musician, I'd say, you know, try and just find what you really love and just try and stick try and stay focused on that, um, you know, and really follow it backwards to, you know, where did what you love come from? And then where did, where did that come from? Like, I, I feel for kids now in their twenties, cause there's just so much access to everything. I feel like that it would be so easy to get distracted, be all over the place. So I always say like, if you find something that really, really resonates, just really stick with it for a long time. And, um, don't be, a, don't be ashamed of it, even if it's not considered cool or whatever, you know, if you're into it, you know, own it. I love that. I mean, that's, that's the problem with doing something that is considered cool, right? There's a ton of people doing it. You're just one of the many people doing it. That's right. I mean, I always think that the people who, you know, the people who end up standing out are because at some point they were doing something that was probably considered pretty uncool. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's because uh, because they, they were different, but then just sticking with it and, and staying the course is what uh, landed them being unique and respected. Oh, man. Well, I'm so excited for this. Your, your first real solo album. I can't wait to hear it. I think it's going to be a great record to blast throughout the house as I'm as I'm living my life. And I just there's there's something really beautiful about the um the way you've done it, I really appreciate it. It feels like you've uh, appreciated your journey and you've kind of lived a, a, a life that was um, examined and uh, enjoyed. And I think that's so cool. And thank you so much for appearing on Wheels Off today. Thank you so much for having me, Red. It was a pleasure talking to you. Really. Take care, Scott. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music. 
and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.